welcome back. You're listening to episode 6 of the Animals Everywhere podcast. Honestly, I think this is episode 2, maybe even 3, but that was recorded a few months ago, so I'm not completely sure. Anyway, this is episode 6 now. In this episode, I chat to Ross Rowan about the importance of quarantining your animals and what can actually happen if you don't quarantine them. So, without further ado, let's get into this episode. So, are you ready? I believe so. <laughs> we'll see you shortly. We shall. You're listening to Animals Everywhere, a podcast that aims to inspire each and every one of you to make an impact and be the change. Learn more about our natural world. Explore the lives of those wild and wonderful. My name is Bryce Broom, and I'm best known for my infatuation with wildlife and to live a wild life. So, welcome, Russ. Thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate it, bro. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Really keen to be here. I think it's going to be a good one for sure. I really hope so. It is, especially yeah. with your knowledge. <laughs> we'll see how up-to-date it all is still. <laughs> it should be good. So I want to start off with how did your fascination with reptiles begin? Um, I think it was while I was probably about six or seven. It was a snake show at school and I just fell in love with them immediately. Okay. Um, I think it was one or two years later. I was probably about eight or nine. Got my first corn snake and yeah, that's where it all just began. And, and the collection just <laughs> grew exponentially. <laughs> I can imagine what your parents must think as the same with me. <laughs> I don't think they care anymore. I think they just gave up after a while. <laughs> gave up trying to hold the reins back on the horse. Pretty much. Went from one or two to 30 to 170. And then, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And what, mainly venomous? Mm, it was mainly non-venomous for the first few years. Okay. I kept non-venomous for about... Eight years before moving on to well, the Venomous. Okay. Mm. That's about the same for me, maybe. Possibly. Maybe not. <laughs> That's a rough estimate on my side, though. So. Yeah. I guess it'll be the same with me. So how how old were you when you started keeping Venomous? When I started keeping Venomous, I was about 14 or 15. Most people would frown upon that age, but yes. I had lots of training and everyone felt comfortable with the idea of me keeping and I was always under supervision when I was working with animal. I think that's a really important factor to keep there because you you've you like me and have had a bunch of mentors and constantly still learning for from a bunch of people and visiting them and just learning how they do things. Yeah and constantly getting to work with new animals and just building experience in that sense as well. Never stops. Exactly. And just spending literally thousands of hours working with them. Non-stop. It's a full-time job, basically. So what was your first um, venomous? A copied. A copied. Yeah. It was a gift from my current mentor at the time. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, nice, a nice starter. Maybe not the best that people would recommend for South Africa, but I mean, honestly, it doesn't really matter if you've had the experience and that it's... Yeah. Any, any venom, I can't say any, but <laughs> most of them you'll be able to handle if you've spent the proper amount of time with mm. a bunch of different species and good mentors. No, I totally agree. It's better than starting off with something like a rattlesnake or a larger. <laughs> yeah, although like your rattlesnakes are so cheap that like a bunch of kids try and get into it and end up paying an, a very hefty price tag or even like close to losing their life especially your western diamondbacks mm. i mean i picked up some for 100 rand the other day each that's that's insane that's almost um that's less than 
ten dollars, I believe. I, I think, think it's so. it's probably right right now eight by eight dollars or so. Yeah. Eight, six dollars. Oh, that's madness. You can't that's even get a ball python for that. Or gorn snake. Not even. That's insane. So you keep a variety of species. What trials come with all the varieties? The biggest thing was to eventually learn to keep everything in separate rooms that you can. Split up everything from different regions. Don't mix species too greatly. And then it also helps with humidity control, temperature control. And you can focus on the individual genus in particular then. It makes it a lot easier to maintain. As in mixing species in the particular room you have. So you don't want to mix tropical snakes with desert dwelling snakes and then the humidities will clash and that's quite a, a fine line to trade if you have a large collection with lots and lots of cages in one set of well, one room. Yeah, so what are the other like downsides of not keeping them in individual rooms besides like humidity fluctuation for the desert species or too dry for the tropical species? Um, sometimes lighting differences, uh, pathogens that can be passed through. In that sense, I wouldn't want to have anything passed on from my nausea's because they're a lot tougher than the vipers. And uh, Yeah, that's true. Go so well. I've learned my lesson in that regard. We'll get to that a bit later though. <laughs> yes. So... Maybe we'll get to that now. So quarantine, <laughs> Yes. how important is it? Exceptionally important. And I think a lot of the keepers learn that very quickly because I'm sure everybody's had sudden losses they weren't expecting after getting one or two new animals in and couldn't quite figure out what happened. So I had my fair share of unimaginable losses that I don't want to go through ever again. Um, that was a big eye-opener for me. So I make sure that everything gets quarantined that comes in near even if it's come from a reputable breeder, and I know for a fact the animals are in very good health, I don't want to take the chance of being, well, there being a certain pathogen that comes from somebody else's collection that's not in mine being passed on. Yeah, I get that. So what experiences and losses have you experienced from that? Um, I got in one or two snakes from a keeper in Kezirin, so it was already quite a distance. Okay. And I don't know, all my vipers at the time started getting sick, they got lethargic, they stopped eating, and then one by one they just started dying off. That is so weird. It really was. And a lot of them were affected by liver failure. And it wasn't heat related either. So have you found out what causes that? Absolutely no idea yet. So I sent off, I think, five or six autopsies and the two vets I sent them to couldn't come back with much. And you're certain that it only started happening from when you added these other vipers yeah. from a different place into your collection? Yeah, because they were showing the first signs when I got them. Oh, wow. Mm. And then did it affect anything else, like any of the lapids? No, none of the lapids. They were rock, <laughs> rock solid. So it could possibly be a pathogen that would only affect vipers? Very possible. Although the only... Okay, I can't say it didn't affect any elapids. I kind of forgot that it did affect the death adders that I was keeping at the time. Okay. Yeah. Well, they didn't elapid, but they kind of... <laughs> More viperish. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Very, very <laughs> confusing. genius <laughs> to be working with. It is. Like, wh why are they 
Yeah, that's just so confusing. Yeah, that looked like flipping. <laughs> and it's not, 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 it happens. But anyway, that's besides the point. So, so they also got affected yeah. by this. And I lost them. I think I had nine at the time. I think it was five days or all, all nine had passed on. Oh, wow. So it happened really quickly. It was over the span of two weeks. Oh, wow. And what snakes in particular did you lose? That's quite a long list of things. <laughs> Three Gaboons, Nasi Corners, nine Christmas Vipers, three Mangroves, I think six White Lips at the time, three Copperheads, no Rattlesnakes surprisingly. Wow, yeah. so you did have Rattlesnakes in the same room though? Yeah, I had five Westerns that were in the same room as my Akinthopus. Okay, mm. and yet the... All the Death Adders died, all nine of them as well, which was very strange. Wow, that must have been like a really sucky time because that's a lot of snakes. In a very short amount of time, there was nothing I could do. Wow, that's incredible. And like, did the snakes, uh, the new snakes that you brought into the room, did they ever like come in contact with the other snakes or were they in a separate enclosure? Separate enclosures. I always, I use them for species. So. so it was something that's an airborne pathogen. Yeah. That's... Hectic. Insane. And you're just one by one, doof, 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 losing them constantly. Eventually I resorted to putting a fan with my nebulizer and Epton in the room. Nebulize the entire room basically. But by then it was too late. Oh wow. Yeah. Did you move any of the species out trying to... I moved a couple of the vipers to a separate room. Well, not even in the same house anymore. I moved them completely out of the house and it was still too late. I couldn't save those. Oh, the only wow. ones that survived were one copperhead. My three adult white lips, one baby mangrove, and one adult female mangrove. Wow, so that's that's a insane loss because obviously you'd been building up all these animals over many years and they have a hefty price tag to them as well. Yeah, a couple of species in there that I don't think I'll ever be able to keep again. <sighs> that sucks, like what? Um, I don't know if Christmas wipers are going to be readily available for a long while again. and. Some of the stuff like the smooth scale death that is nasty corners aren't often available anymore. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. I, I'm sure there will be some Christmas vipers available. I know of a few people that have, mm. and I think they bred them last season, but oh, keeping all the babies. Yeah, but... I'm not surprised. That's what I was <laughs> going to do as well. <laughs> That's what we all tend to do because we love them. So we like, yeah, I don't know if it's worth even selling or giving these or trading because exactly how it's been at the time. <laughs> So you don't have any any of those anymore? No. All my eyelash vipers, I think I had seven at the time as well. Uh, when, when was this? When did this happen? This was in late 2017, early 2018. Oh, hectic. That's, mm. that's like, I think, just after I met you. Yeah. Um, we actually met at a reptile expo because you were the only one who was keen to be on one of my YouTube videos when I first started. It was so great. Yeah, and I, I don't think I, I didn't post the video on my main channel. I posted it on a channel that's now like, it's disappeared. <laughs> so we still actually got a film with you on my actual channel. I think we'll have to go to a proper facility tour because you've got some amazing animals and different rooms, obviously. Yeah. No, I'd be super keen to have to have done at some point. So what how many rooms do you have now? Technically three. Three rooms. Yeah. 
and what species are in what rooms? Um, I'm keeping all my Asian elapids and my Asian vipers in one room. Then in another room, I've got most of the African stuff. I've got my zebra spitters, my red spitters, the nigricolis, uh, my angolan corals, the Peter bandit skink, and one or two other things that aren't actually African, but they're from a similar climate. So, so, so you're basically trying to keep everything that's from like the same continent together, not not even same climates yeah. necessarily. Why is that? Just I find it a bit easier to maintain them that way, and then I can also schedule feeding throughout the week to make it a bit easier. Okay, and what's that third room? The third room, that's just for some of the lizards. Okay, mm. yeah. You also do work with quite a few nice lizards too. Mm. Not so many anymore, but hoping to expand that collection again. Yeah. That's a lot of work, and that's ex lizards take a lot more time. Yeah, for sure. Definitely agree. Yeah, what what are the dangers if you don't quarantine your animals besides like the ones you've already told us? What are the dangers? Um, possibility of spreading mites throughout a collection in case they while you weren't notified that some of the snakes had them on them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things, as well as the pathogens, viruses, bacteria being spread. And you still have no idea what that virus or pathogen no. was. You don't even know what it is. No. As far as I could figure out from another friend of mine, it sounds like Sunshine Coast virus that affects vipers comes from Australia, but... It's not conclusive. Yeah, can't really say. So, and, that, and that's obviously a hectic virus that kills animals off quickly. Yeah, but it's mainly arboreal stuff. So and it makes sense as to why it affected a whole bunch of the stuff okay. that I kept. And it also affected my Amazon tree boas at the time, but they didn't die. Oh, wow. Mm. So it's almost like um, your slower metabolism snakes get affected because your boas, your vipers are generally... A lot slower in that sense. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so that's interesting. So you're not sure that that is what it is, but was it? Did you bring in more death adders, and that's possibly where that Australian sun coast no, virus came from? I got all my death adders at the same time, and I had them for roughly three or four months before any of the symptoms started showing. And it was just after I brought the two new vipers in. What were the new vipers that you brought in? Adult pair of mangroves. Adult pair of mangroves. That's weird. So if it's like an Australian virus, is that just the name or is yeah, it? I think it's just where it originated from. Okay, so now mm. it's just everywhere. So that that sounds hectic. And what were the symptoms that um, you noticed quickly that the snakes would have? The fastest one was lethargy. That it started in all of them almost two or three days after the mangroves arrived. And... From there, they all went down to the ground, which was another big indicator to me that something was not particularly great in the collection at that point. Yes. They completely lost their appetite. I boosted humidity, boosted temps a bit, trying to see if that wouldn't help. Nothing helped in that sense. And from there, they just didn't want to drink. And yeah. And they just slowly, <laughs> I just watched them all slowly die. Oh, that, that must be so heartbreaking. It was one of the worst things that ever been through and just wanted to stop keeping. I can imagine why. How has that affected you like now? I'm a bit more wary of others at this point. I'm sticking more to the elaborate side of things. Okay, just because of almost that trauma of losing so many animals. Yeah. I saw my bigger ground viper species, the adult copperhead at the time, the two hundred bases I had, they weren't affected at all. 
Okay. And they were in the same room? Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. So it seems to be a lot of the uh, arboreal snakes, as you said, but as well as the bigger, heavy-bodied snakes. So you're like gaboons and the rhino. Yeah, but I don't understand why they got affected. Uh, maybe their metabolism is just too slow or something in that sense. I'm sorry, that must suck, suck so much. Um, should should someone um, only quarantine if they have a large collection or...? No, I'd recommend quarantining the matter of the size of your collection. Even if it's a small collection of like five or six animals, it's just better to be safe. True, that's, that's a big thing. So what are your um, protocols now for quarantining animals? I keep them in a completely separate structure okay uh, everything gets f10 that goes in and out of the room including clothing shoes i've got a little cat litter dish basically with a magnet that's got f10 in there okay everybody must sanitize that wants to go in and out i want to just keep everything spotless that i can and make sure that the animals are kept separately then i'll give them a deworming and a deparasizing dose and keep them there for about 30 days okay so what when you like use tools then, do you have a whole separate set of tools that you use yeah. for the quarantine animals? Yeah, I make my own hook sticks and I've got one separate pair of tweezers for feeding. And then how do you set up the enclosures? Like obviously, is it wooden enclosures? Cause that carries more like tons of pathogens or? I keep them in racks when I, I get them in. Okay, Yeah. paper towel, yeah. water bowl, simple stuff. Yeah, very, very simple setup. Easy okay. to clean, easy to maintain. And from doing this quarantining, have you seen a big difference? Yeah, I haven't lost any animals from pathogens in that sense or bacterial infections since I've started with the, the even quarantining. The, even the quarantined animals? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it does have a huge effect. So what would you recommend to someone who just keeps a few species? How should they quarantine? Um, even in a separate room in the house, as long as you've got the strict protocol in place, such as the F-tanning of everything, making sure everything's clean, um, I'd recommend maybe even changing before going back into the original reptile room. Okay, so maybe wear a hazmat suit <laughs> and <pretty much. laughs> walk in and have a, like, yeah. totally sanitized. But in that sense, that's what I would recommend. Okay, I understand why. Um, even if it's someone not keeping venomous or anything like that, just... Do it. Yeah. Just and make sure that the animals are safe and you're not going to end up with a heartbreak in the end. Yeah. Because uh, even if you've got a small collection, the animals still mean the same to you. Yeah, that's so true. It's not about the price tag of the animal. Yeah. How many days should someone like, or weeks or months, should someone quarantine their animals? I would recommend at least 30 days, but up to three months, depending on the severity of what's happening. If they're in very good health and you can see that they're not going to be spreading anything and had a, a full checkout, then I'd say 30 days. But if they have mites or if you can see there's parasites, I would recommend three months just to be safe. Okay, that makes sense. And as for deworming, is that your like strict protocol with basically anything that comes in? For yeah. Anything uh, new that comes in, I want to just make sure they don't spread anything else to any of my other snakes at all. Yeah. Perfectly happy now. So what do you use for parasite flushes and deworming? And um, I just get a pre-made mix from the vids okay. that I use, yeah. 
And do they have to give you the doses for the snake or do you have yeah. to calculate? No, they give me the pre-made doses. Okay. So I just weigh the snakes beforehand, phone the vet and be like, I need this medication for the snake of this weight and just go and collect. Okay, that's nice. Mm. And then what, what do you find works better, oral or injections? Um, it depends greatly. If the snake isn't eating, I always just go straight for the injections. I don't want to try and force feed. Okay. Um, especially on the bigger stuff, I just do injections. Yeah. And um, then oral for everything else if yeah. they are eating. Mm. Okay. I generally so, do a slightly larger dose than what's recommended, and I put that straight into a food item just to limit stress. Oh, nice. So you don't even have to tube mm. the animal and then like intubate them, yeah. sticking a pipe down their throat. Yeah, I found that works quite well. That's okay. why I add a little bit extra because they don't absorb all of it usually. Okay, that's and it goes straight into their system then, not not into their muscles or mm. whatever once they are injected. Yeah. Um. Should some, I think that was asking the same question again. Do you think people overlook quarantine in I, general? A lot of people do, from what I've seen. How so? Like, what would you do differently from most people? I don't think many people realize the implications or what could possibly go wrong if you just introduce the snake, because generally you don't have what happened to me happen. Most of the time things just go well. And that's what happened to me for many years until it didn't go well. Yeah. And that was a big learning curve for me. So, yeah, that sucks big time. Um, and how many, like, was it just that once that you lost all those animals yeah. at once? Yeah. That's, that's hectic. And you've obviously learned from that and never had to go through it again. Thankfully not. Yeah. So how has your keeping then evolved from when you first started keeping these animals? Far more hygienic. And I prefer not to work with animals too often anymore. Just to limit stress that helps keep the immune system boosted. And yeah, the less I have to move my snake, the better. I suppose that's true. Although sometimes it's nice handling the animals and it's better for them not to be handled. Yeah. That's most of my fossorial stuff, like the spelly laps and well, that's pretty much the only fossorial <laughs> I still have at this point. I, I don't generally disturb them. Even if people want to see them, if they're not out, then yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Don't, don't go out of your way taking the animals out mm. to show someone when it could harm the animal. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Most of the stuff's in display cages at this point, so if it's not out, well, you came on the wrong day. <laughs> Luckily, you get to sit in there and see the animals whenever. Mm. I'm in there 90% of the time that I'm free, so at least I've had my fair share of <laughs> working with them, having that experience. I think after a while, it just weighs off the novelty of being able to handle them. Just being able to admire them is what makes it for me. Yeah, I, I, I think that's very true. I love setting up interactive enclosures for the animals to like browse around. It's just so much more fun than like a paper towel plane setup. No, I completely agree. And because of that, you'll often see the animal moving around and actually doing what it's supposed to be doing, not just sitting there. Exactly, and becoming a like fat blob <laughs> of snake. Pretty much. <laughs> so you've obviously you have a different standard of keeping reptiles you've got that higher standard with bioactive keeping yeah so when did you start with that and why i started with that when i got my first vipers because 
I wanted to make a naturalistic looking cage. And I was like, okay, what's a better way than adding some plants? And from there it just went because it wasn't quite as easy as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't just <laughs> chuck one or two plants in the cage and put a light on it and hope everything goes well. <laughs> there was far more to it than that. So there was a lot of learning curves involved and I spent a good seven years now just improving where I can, learning, constantly trying new things and just trying to get to the point where everything's exactly how it needs to be. Well, honestly, the vivs you make are some of the best I've seen in the country. It's like some of the coolest and most fascinating enclosures. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And as for like setting up a viv, I know many people just put random plants and random hardscapes yeah. in there. What do you do differently? Do you like set up something spe specifically for each individual species? Um, sadly, that's not very feasible at this point because of our plant selection that's actually available to us. If yeah, but I'm saying like the hardscape and the general aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, I generally do it per species. So what what makes it different? Um, just the size of the animal. Then I can see how much support it needs to have added. What the habits are like. If it's going to be more um, fossorial or terrestrial, arboreal, or if it's going to be a mix. Then I need to plan to leave enough space at the bottom for if it wants to go down, wants to get away from the heat. If I need to add a pond section, how big the pond section needs to be. There should be a water feature to keep humidity up as well. And then what do you like put in different plants per different species? I try to keep it as natural as I can. So if I can, I'll keep the South American stuff like the eyelash vipers with more of the tropical South American plants. If I can, I'll try and get some of the Asiatic plants for the Asiatic vipers. Okay. Use bamboo, that sort of thing. That's quite cool. So what is the difference like in keeping some of the Atheris species then to the Tremosaurus? Um, as for like humidity, the atheros don't do too well with the high, high humidity. Yeah. So I've learned that don't use super tropical plants for them because they don't do super well in those cages. Um, it's difficult to actually find some of the plants that will suit the atheros very well because African plants are actually very scarce, <laughs> believe it or not, in the local plant keeping hobby as well. So I had to make do and use more of the less humid tropical plants, some of the bromeliads, one or two of the orchid species. Yeah. A lot of the local mosses work very well because they're quite used to the drier climates. So yeah. what are some of the common viv building mistakes you see people do? A lot of people use way too much foam in their first go. They end up <laughs> filling half the cage up with foam or they don't make the drainage layer correctly and the water seeps up and makes everything far too... I can't think of the word now. Humid? Not really humid, but... Damp? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. the plants develop root rot and the whole tank just doesn't look good. Yeah, it looks like a, a swampy smell to it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not the freshest mm. aroma. As well as lighting positioning, what sort of lighting they're using, um, ambient lighting throughout the cage. I prefer to try and black out the sides to keep more light in the enclosure that helps with the plants. Okay. Mm. And then as for your keeping, like what do you recommend people that keep venomous do to advance their keeping continually? Mm, it depends very greatly on what species they're focusing on. 
Let, let's go to elapids because you you are focusing a lot on elapids now yeah. with your whole viper outbreak that was heartbreaking. It really was. Um, I've put them in far more naturalistic looking setups, very similar to what you've got going on here. It's a very nice looking setup and it's far easier to clean, far easier to maintain. Yeah. And I don't have to work with the animal unnecessarily usually. So I can add clean up crew into the tank. They keep the tank clean for me unless, you know, how Cobra's old glass. <laughs> yeah. They just <laughs> decide to like paint the walls, the ceiling, everything with yeah. their poop because they, I think they are aspiring artists. I believe so. Especially the two Negri Sinters that I keep. They just, <laughs> yeah, I've they, never seen anything quite like it in my life. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize, yo, cobras look cool and that, but they're a lot more work because they have that fast metabolism and they like to make things messy. Very. And the best is they'll go and line the water bowl, then go through the whole cage, get dirty, and rub themselves on everything. <laughs> the one monocled literally covered the glass so badly I couldn't see into the tank. Wow, that's hectic. It was just substrate, the whole glass. I was like, what now? Why? I can't even see where the snake is to get it out. Oh. I have to open the cage without knowing where it is. It was not a fun time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the dangers in keeping. That's why we have hook sticks. We can stand a fair distance to the side, not, <laughs> not directly in front when you open the glass, because as you know, that doesn't go so well sometimes. No, they like to become little firecrackers and spring out of the enclosure and just make you poop your pants when you're least expecting it. Definitely makes for interesting times to keep it up. It's true. Um, so as for venomous keeping, what do you recommend if someone like is young and wants to start getting into venomous keeping? What should they start with? What should they start? Not with? as in like snakes. What what are the protocols to go through? I would find an experienced venomous keeper that's nearby who's willing to help out. Go through, take things as slow as possible, just watch and learn for the first few visits, and then from there, slowly get accustomed to hook sticks, how to use the hook stick correctly, maybe practice on a small piece of rope. Um, and then from there, work with one or two really small, easy to work with animals, maybe one or two of the vipers because they ride a hook very well and just build your... Yeah, the arboreal vipers. Mm. Not, not, not a bathrox or <laughs> yeah. the terrestrial vipers that don't sit on the hook so well. No, those guys are evil. <laughs> and then I wanted to say, you've got uh, Dinakistridon acutus, your Chinese sharp-nosed vipers. Yes. And yours are... I don't know, something's wrong with yours. Why? They're so calm. What is... What's up with that? I don't know. It's probably because I never work with them. And... Really? So I would think they would get accustomed to you working with them. No, I've seen that they stress out quite quickly when we take them out. But while they're in the cage, my two are absolute a pleasure to work with. Oh, that's interesting. So so you recommend people not take their animals out as much because they'll actually be calmer without you trying to calm them down. From my personal experience, that's what I've seen. As long as they can see you and they get accustomed to the movement and... As long as you're in the reptile room pretty often, they, they chill down quite quickly. Is that for the vipers or...? Even the leopards. Okay, so even without handling them. Yeah, like my monocles when I got them, they were insane. They were probably the most difficult snakes I've ever had to work with in my life. They just wanted me dead. Yeah, and for instance, uh, Ross has also worked with mambas and things like that. So 
that's that's a big thing saying <laughs> yeah no they they were probably the biggest handful I've ever had they saw me and that was that they wanted me dead but now I can walk into the room that are in a hood they just don't care anymore because they got accustomed to seeing me all the time and they realized I'm not a threat I'm super calm when I work with them I don't make fast movements and I don't take them out unless I absolutely have to you know, that's, that's something I think I can learn with my uh, young female snouted cobra. She's absolutely psychotic. So I, the first like few months I had her, I thought I would need to like take her out a bit more and start working with her. Um, but it's not fun because she's psychotic. So you recommend like just leaving her up in that glass enclosure so she can just see you and get accustomed because that's her safe space. So the more she gets used to seeing you while you're while she's in that space, she's gonna calm down quicker. Because okay. the moment you take her out the cage, she's gonna go into defense mode. That's interesting. Um, like with my room calls and that, it was also it was quite not completely psychotic, but when I got it, it was a bit of a mad snake. And now it doesn't spit, it's like, I don't know, Runkels are special. They really are. Thank you. Lovely snakes. Lovely, yeah. Even though there may be host pipes in the wild, captive <laughs> ones are absolute charms. They really are. It's like all my other spitters that I've got, except for the Palito. <laughs> Those are yeah. still needing to calm down a little bit. But since I moved them out of a racking system into a display cage where they can see me, they've greatly calmed down. So you think the the future way of keeping should be like basically only caging? Like It depends on you because I've, out of the three monocles, I've got two that love display cages, and the third one gets bad nose rub, it freaks out, gets super stressed, put it into a rack, and it's a different snake. Have you tried changing the setup for the monocle in the enclosure, making sure it's like really thick, lots of hiding spots and stuff? Multiple times. I added a couple of logs, lots of plants, proper plants, some of the grass species, lots of leaves, logs. Didn't want to know about it. That's really interesting. So I suppose it's also snake to snake. Yeah. So maybe get a different type of enclosure without any glass that people can't Can see in yeah. so it doesn't stress the snake out. Yeah, that could work as well. Because they are individual animals. They all have their own personalities. Some of them mm. like settling down and some of them want nothing to do with it. Pretty much. Like you can see that snake over there. It's just checking us out, rubbing its nose against the glass, which like, why? You've got <laughs> enough space to move in your enclosure. I found a lot of the cobras get nose rubbed very quickly. So I try to get polished glass edges. That helps. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mine luckily um, don't get nose rubbed from rubbing against the glass edges, but that one just likes to strike at the glass and bump his nose. So. Oh, the monocles were the same as well when I got them. They were the most psychotic snakes I've ever worked with. Now they're like puppies. I, I still can't believe your Dinakistradon are so calm. I don't think I've ever had one of the two strike at me even. Wow, that's impressive. All the ones I've worked with are like, they they mean, they scare me. <laughs> you should come through and see one sometime. I must because all the ones I've seen are just like, even if you walk past a rack, an enclosure, Poof, poof, strike, full body, hitting the walls and everything. No, I've only had the male do that once and it wasn't even to me, it was to somebody else that was visiting. <laughs> they, that's, that shows how snakes actually learn 
who their owners and who their keepers are because they know you're not going to harm them so mm. they can trust you. I had a very similar experience with my Western Diamondback at some point as well. He never rattles at me. He's never struck at me. He's just been the most amazing rattlesnake I've ever worked with. And somebody came over and I was like, you need to see this rattlesnake. That is the calmest thing I've ever seen. And he flew out the cage and wanted this guy dead. What? Actively chased him across the room. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. I think many people say snakes don't chase. <laughs> when you work with venomous, you're like, ah, snakes chase. I can... I even took a video because I took my one corn snake out for some photos and I don't know what happened, I put it on the grass and something just went in its head and yeah, it decided it no longer liked me at all and it chased me for probably about 10 meters but actively chased me across the grass wanting me dead. I've a corn snake. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> That's so cute though. Oh, I'll definitely forward you the video later. And I have to see that. But I think it's always like our fault when they do chase us because it's that flight or fight instinct. They feel they can't get away. So It was so strange because I had him out in the sun. I was taking photos. He was perfectly fine. I put the phone down in front of him to take one more photo and I could just see it. His eyes, they dilated and he just wanted me dead for some reason. Never like, in my life. I'm not having any of these photo <laughs> shoots. You've taken enough photos of me. Just leave me be. Exactly how it went. That's so funny. Um, is it is it harder to keep venomous in like vivariums or naturalistic setups? Mm, I wouldn't say so, as long as you're willing to put in that little bit of extra effort just to get everything set up initially. It's like I was saying a little bit earlier before we started the podcast about my, my white lip enclosure, I've had them in there for maybe two and a half years now, and I've literally never had to take anything out of the cage to clean because wow. of my cleanup crew. There's not a piece of shed, not a piece of poop, no dirt. I sometimes have to clean calcification off the glass. That's about it. That's really nice. But is it difficult if you do need to take the snakes out of the enclosure? Is it hard to get them out because they have like so many things to hide against and like no. grab their bodies? I, I wouldn't say so. I've never had any issues besides maybe the mangrove viper. But okay. that's just because it's an angry snake and it doesn't sit on the hook stick. So it's difficult to get it out. And as for your cobras that are fast moving in their enclosures, sometimes do you have to take out, out all of the items or do they just learn to... I uh, just take out one log out of the female's cage, but otherwise never had to take anything out. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, like, for me, I've got a little bit more naturalistic setups, but for you can see different snakes, it's a lot harder to take them out because they, like, want nothing to do with it. Yeah. So how do you set up your enclosures differently so it's still, like... Easy enough for you to get to the animals so you don't have to like risk getting bitten if you need to take them out. I put as little as I need to in, but also try to add as much as I can in the front space to make it look natural. But I don't add too many things that they can hook onto. Okay, that's interesting. So you basically build up in the front. Would you put like a lot of plants and foliage in the front yeah. instead of like large items that they can hook on? I mainly use one or two large logs at the back that I secure in place. And then the front's got grasses, leaves, maybe one or two smaller branches or a vine. And that's about it. Okay, so it's something that they they have to like almost break the barrier mm. between where they're hiding and what they can see from you. Yeah. But it's not like a thick hide box mm. per se. I've got 
trap boxes in most of my cages still. Just if they're in there, then it's much easier for me to take them out, and then I don't actually have to handle the actual animal, which I would prefer. <laughs> so if I can keep to that for now, that would be great. But I'd like to find a way to make the hide boxes look more naturalistic. Maybe disguise it as a rock or... Yeah, I've tried that sense. with uh, one of my plastic hides, basically doing foam and then siliconing substrate on. But for the hide boxes, especially with your bigger species, they tend to just rub it off. So maybe mm. something like... I was thinking maybe some grabs in with colouring to make it look like a, a proper rock. I think that that sounds epic. And how would you do that? Um, I would foam up the entire outside, carve the foam to look how I wanted and paint the grout on very lightly just to give it that broken up effect. Okay. Mm. And then you can shape the foam, cut it, make it look like small rock pieces coming off. You can do a lot. And then what would you paint it with? Um, you get grout colouring. Okay. So you can make it a grey colour. Or... Oh, so it'll all be the same colour, not just yeah. different shades? Yeah. Okay, that's nice. But you can make the intensity of the colour different as well, depending on how much you add. Okay. And as for trap boxes, I personally don't use trap boxes just because, yeah, they don't look as nice and I'm fine with handling the snakes. But obviously when you have a lot more snakes, it's just a bit safer and easier to put the little guys in. The, once they're in the trap box, just close it up. Yeah. So how often do you tend to have to like clean the trap boxes? Relatively often, sadly. <laughs> that's the only downside to them. They spend most of their time in the trap box and that's where they make the biggest mess. Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things I'm not keen about with trap boxes because mm. they'll spend most of the time in their trap box and then just poop it. Yeah, but at least it's quite quick to clean at least. Okay, how, how do your trap boxes work? Because I know some of them are like screwed together and you can't really open them easily. Mine's got a small front opening hole that's got a slide that closes it and okay. it's got an open top. Oh, so like the top is on hinges, so it opens and closes. Okay. And it's just got a small latch on the side. Okay, nice. That's a lot easier than the ones I've worked with, but not kept my snakes in. We had to like unscrew the lid. No, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. Oh, especially with a larger mm -hmm. amount of animals. Not, not fun at all. Do you think uh, like your animals do better in vivs? I would say to a certain degree. They enjoy it more because it gives them more to see, more to smell, more to explore. And then they can pick their own hiding spots depending on how the plants are growing and that sort of thing. So you think it's better than like a simple clean type setup? Yeah, but it also depends on what you're planning on keeping. I prefer to keep all my boreal stuff in bugs, mainly because they're a lot easier to work with in that sense. They're always out on the top of the branches, so you know where to look for them. <laughs> and they generally don't make much of a mess, so it's quite easy to look after, keep clean because of the cleaner crews. And that's just aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, whereas a lot of your cobras will tend to... Destroy a tank. <sighs> yeah. I tried planting some nice grasses in my cages, but they, they like to de-root that and, you know, put it Every wherever time. they want. That's not, it's not fun at all. What, um, what else do you recommend someone do if they're wanting to get into venomous? Get into venomous? Um, just go do as many courses as you can. Make sure you've done your first aid course, medic courses that you can. Um, and just always keep up to date with your protocols, handling procedures, and 
make sure you don't work alone with the venomous. Yeah, that's one thing I do. Um, honestly, I work alone with the venomous, but there's always someone at the house or whatever to drive you if something ever happens. Yeah. And would you say a course makes you ready to handle a venomous no, snake? Never. That comes with lots and lots and lots of practice and experience and mentorship. So tell me why. What like what are some of the things if you've you've done a course, you've seen a snake there, it lies down, you pick it up. Yeah. How does it <laughs> varies greatly between individual snakes? Some of them are insane, some of them are super pleasant to work with, and sometimes you just get very unlucky with which one you get. Yeah. So what what are some of the things people don't expect that actually happen when you're working with these animals? Um if you're not super used to it and a snake jumps off the hook people tend to panic quite a bit and they'll drop the animal sometimes cause injury to it or if it shoots back up the hook it can get you on the hand there's quite a few things that people need to be ready for and if you don't know how to read the animals yet and you haven't had that much experience it's that much more difficult and that much easier to get tagged yeah and and as for like your venomous snakes that are calm what would you say about that also always be vigilant always be ready for the unexpected don't get too complacent around them yeah because for some days they might be maybe lying in the far back corner and then yeah, yeah they fly out of the enclosure literally and give you a huge surprise yeah which is not fun no, it's really not <laughs> i'm sure most of the venomous keepers have had their fair share of close calls in that sense yes where it's like you know you're not going to be bitten or get it it's not close call in that way but like the animals just not having the best day. Yeah. yeah, and they just decide to do something that they hardly ever do. Mm. Something completely unexpected and it catches you off guard. Mm. Mm. So that's, I think, what you got to train for, yeah. to not be caught off guard. Mm. And then your reactions, if something does happen, and how to react to that properly. Yeah, just make sure you're always respectful with animal. Be calm, be collective, and do your best to read the animal's movements and... If you can see the animals not in a good mood, don't take it out. Yeah, that's true. So what are some of the species you're hoping to work with? I think I, in 2017, when we first did this video, I said, like, um, what, what, what are the snakes you dream of getting? And your answer, if I remember correctly, was Tremurus insularis, the yeah. blue face, blue insularis, and... I think that was it. You said you just love your gaboons no matter what, and gaboons too. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'd really like to get into working with some of the exotic mambas, Jameson, Spiridus, that sort of thing. Mm. Black tails. Yeah, definitely on my list. Maybe Mangshans at some point, if I can ever afford them. Still, <laughs> Insularis <laughs> is very much up there with them. And I just want to increase my larger collection as far as I can. So since then, has your experience changed? Like, have you been able to work with any of these dream species? I've worked with one Viridus so far. Okay. And I think one Insularis, so at least I can tick those off my list for having seen in person. Yes. Worked with, so I'm quite happy. So Viridus is a big one that you're hoping to... I think that's right up at number one. Okay, so that's in the near future. Definitely. For me, I love them also, but like those black tail. Jamasone. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I saw one of those and also fell in love instantly. All of the mambas, I think. Yeah. Definitely. I, 
I saw my first black tail actually this year, in fact. They're incredible animals. No, I agree, 100%. And they seem to be a lot calmer than the Veridus at times. Because mm -hmm. you're... But then again, like, you know how to handle your animals, so... Yeah. It's just about being able to read the animal, making sure you know you are 100% comfortable and that your experience is also there. Yeah. You can't go from keeping copperheads to mambas. It's just <laughs> not going to go well. Yeah, there's got to be quite a few things in between to Definitely. get you ready and quite a lot of experience. Mm. So I'm interested to hear, how would you set up a Veridus? A Veridus enclosure? Yeah. It would need to be a, a very large enclosure. One where I would never have to work with the animal unless it was absolutely necessary for medication or that sort of purpose. I'd probably have basically a walk-in enclosure that I would build out of glass. Oh, that sounds amazing. And then would you plant it out? How would yeah. you do that? I'd put in one or two dead trees, pull them up with... Um, uh, orchids, bromeliads, lots of ferns, and then try and source some of the local plants from where they're from. Maybe add one living tree in, a small one, and do a water feature, have it on automatic lighting, automatic misting, make sure the heating is also automated. And yeah, hopefully you never have to touch the snake again. Just that sounds, that sounds fantastic. I really admire that because a lot of people get into venomous and keeping them because um, Oh, it's an adrenaline and adrenaline rush to handle them. But what are your thoughts on that? I think a lot of people are doing it for the wrong reasons. You should be keeping a snake because you want to be keeping the snake, not because it's cool or you want to show off or anything in that sense. I enjoy keeping my nausea's just because I love my nausea. I know a lot of people say they're dirty and they're horrible snakes and I'll never have that same view just because I personally enjoy them. And as I said, the novelty of handling snakes wore off pretty quickly for me. I just like being able to look at them, admire them, and know that I have this special animal in my collection. I think that's the biggest thing people who are just getting into this can take away, as I'm getting a little cave cobra striking at me here. Sorry, girl, I won't move so much. <laughs> She's quite feisty. So would you put a pair in that enclosure, a pair of verdes? Yes. What would you do when they breed? That would be an interesting situation, <laughs> I think. Um, especially since the female would most likely probably lay the eggs in a hole in one of the trees if there was one. Otherwise, she'd probably go down to the bottom and lay it in the leaflet or something. Somewhere where you basically won't be able to find out. Yeah, and I don't think I would want to try and get in there to get the eggs away from them anyway. Yeah. So because it's all temperature controlled and humidity controlled, I think they would be fine either way. But getting the babies up and getting them started would be the biggest nightmare. <laughs> I can imagine because you have this huge walk-in enclosure and then they'll probably have a better chance of breeding actually because it's like a naturalistic setup mm -hmm. and totally controlled. But the, those babies, I know. finding them, you don't know how many are in there and you don't know where to look for them. <laughs> I think that would be quite the nightmare. Good luck. Yeah, well, hopefully I can eventually get to that point though. I think you will because um, I know they are starting to be readily bred captively in South Africa, not just getting wild caught imports, which is nuts. But then again, those are babies which will have to grow up before they breed. Mm. And no one's going to sell them to you anytime soon currently because yeah. most of the people just want to keep them for themselves. At least they'll give me lots of time to get the setup fully well, developed and everything working correctly before I even think about getting the animals. And then you can even like make sure you like 
think of all the nuances into keeping it. Maybe you'll find a way to yeah, like make an egg box that looks naturalistic so she lays in there instead <laughs> and you can take the eggs out or something. Because they so are boring, I was thinking of maybe lining one of the back walls with a PVC pipe but one of the big 15 wood pipes. Okay. And disguising that as a branch and leaving one or two openings for them to get in and out of and maybe even sectioning a part of that off to be a nesting box. That sounds interesting. So then you could take that out and get to the eggs. Yeah. That would probably be better, but then again, snakes don't go to what we plan. Nothing ever goes to plan, it seems. <laughs> no, they seem to... She'll probably like lay it somewhere else where you <laughs> cannot find it or get to it. More than likely. So what are your dreams for like reptile keeping? Do you want to do this just because you enjoy it or is there any like other aspect you want to work towards? Just because I enjoy it. Okay, so it's not going to be like a future thing that you want to find an income out of or... No, I've seen very early on that's not a very viable solution unless you get very lucky and you have lots of money to put into it as well. I agree. I think um, I am in that same boat. We're a similar age, so we got things started... Hmm. At around about the same times and learned from the same mentors in fact pretty much yeah and yeah i think that's the best way to go no, i agree 100 if you're not in it for the animals you shouldn't be in it yeah that's true it's it's about them and not the profit that they can give you you might want these really rare animals but it's not because of their price tag it's because you want them yeah honest and it's weird it's i was actually researching it yesterday i think it's called eth Ethno ethnic zoology or ethnozoology is basically our relationship between the animals. So basically we get something out of keeping them. They don't really get anything from us keeping, keeping them. them. Yeah. Although they're alive because of us, but then again, yeah. It's they don't really need human intervention in most instances mm. unless something's really endangered. So they'd probably be better off without us. True, but I think there is a good aspect to us keeping these yeah. animals for sure because once people see them in cages and that, like you were saying, you saw that when you were six years old, you saw it at a party or something, mm. and that's when your love first started. So it's when you have those interactions from captive animals that you see them and you want to also protect the wild ones yeah. and admire those, not just like kill it. Yeah, in that sense, I've had a lot of people who have come to view my collection that won't actually keep us, start keeping because they enjoyed it as well. It was different to them and they just liked the idea of having that animal to be able to view it. And then you also had an experience... Where you ate himself. Yes. Three times. Three times? Three times. Ah, that's a stupid snake. <laughs> Very. Luckily he's still around and hopefully he will breed this year, but I don't know if I should. <laughs> you don't want those genetics of babies eating their own tails. Mildly concerned about his mental health. <laughs> That's a stupid snake, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like it's true. <laughs> I've never seen anything quite like it before. Three times he ate himself. Three times. That is so... And how did you get him off? Two teaspoons. Just quickly unhinge his jaws, put them in and just pull him out. That... <laughs> was ridiculous. How does he not realize that he's eating himself? The fact he hasn't died yet is impressive. I got to him quite late the one day and his scales were all crinkly. I think he started digesting them. Oh, It wow. was, you know, not a fun sight, but at least he's made a full recovery and hasn't done it again. Oh, gosh. 
we seem to go off on these random tangents. We were busy talking about like <laughs> how to deal with the retic bites and then we talk about it. It makes you like eating itself. Stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, it's quite something though. But as I said, it's very important to learn your snake's behavior, how to read it and just gain experience in that sense. Well, I think that's been a good talk. Thank you, Ross, so much for coming out. Thank you for having me. Is there any way people can go to follow you and what you do? Um, I think Instagram will probably be the easiest. Um, I'll just send you the link if you want to drop it in the description below the video. Yep, I'll drop that in the show notes too for you guys listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, all those places to listen to the podcast. Any Anything else, like a Facebook page? Um, no Facebook page at the moment. It's currently done. Okay. Yeah. Hoping to get that back up and running again at some point, so I'll just notify you once that's all sorted out. Sweet, and then you can go order a custom-made living vivarium from Ross Rowan. Thank you very much. Thanks both for coming out. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was excellent. Enjoyed it so much. Sweet. Hey. Bye. Bye.